weekend, 8 to 10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. on SAFM. Professor Alex Broadbent is on hold. He is the director at the Institute for Future Knowledge and a professor of philosophy at UJ. Do African nations have as much reason to fear COVID-19 as regions where so much of the population is older? According to the professor, the biggest public health risk in Africa is not COVID-19, but the consequences of regional and global measures designed to reduce its effect on public health. He says further, when we went on lockdown, we were making a choice. We were saving the lives of some older people and causing the deaths of some younger people, especially children, who are most at risk of malnutrition and diseases of poverty. Prof, you want to take that um, that postulation forward as you engage why the lockdown is not good for Africa on this, the African narrative. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Good evening. It's great to be here. Thank you. Well, say more, please. We are well, killing the older. I mean, we are saving the older to kill the young, essentially. That's what you're saying. Yeah. So, um, so in, in wealthier regions, the... Uh, I'm sorry, there's an echo on the line, which is distracting me. Um, in wealthier regions, uh, the uh, number of people in the high-risk groups are over 65. is considerably uh, higher than it is in... Uh, uh, Africa in general. So we have um, 3% under the age of 65 uh, in the region. And in Europe, that compares to something like 20%. Um, and the case fatality rates, the, 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 the risk that you're at of serious disease or, or of death um, appear to be very closely correlated with age. Um, that is the strongest predictor we have. So um, uh, it very much looks like the uh, the benefits to reducing the risk are, are likely to be less in this region than they would be in another. Would you propose a different strategy? Yes. What? Uh, I think there should be uh, restrictions on economic activity uh, which are short of full lockdown. So uh, particularly isolating at-risk groups um, and trying to prevent travel. So regional quarantine. Um, these, these measures are effective. They're modeled to be effective. They were effective in China, where we did, in fact, have regional quarantine, um, not, not countrywide lockdown. Um, and I, I, they are being implemented in some parts of Africa. So there's a World Bank report that's recently out, which specifically praises Tanzania in this regard. Um, I mean, you have to remember that you know, in the region as a whole, um, nearly 90% uh, of, of people are working in the informal sector, and that goes down to 75% if you exclude agriculture. So this is just not the same uh, as Europe. So it, it's partly about the, the, the risks being, uh, or at least according to the risk factors we have, being lower, but also the, the costs of lockdown being massively higher. So the, 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 the consequences of um, uh, recession here are extremely serious. One doesn't dispute the economic effect of a lockdown. But I suppose the president and together with his National COVID Command Council team incorporating the political voices in parliament came to the conclusion that a lockdown was for South Africa its best option. Now, how then would you change this? I mean, you talk about a regional lockdown, you talk about certain sectors. 
these are platitudes outside them being actually delineated further and saying this is the plan that is the alternative to what government currently has at play. And I'm asking you that question again, but only with more detail in your response. Yeah, well, I, mean, I think I gave the, the relevant details. So you take uh, at-risk groups, so specifically older people, uh, you seek to isolate them. There are options for doing this. Um, uh, in townships, you can take them out and stick them in hotels, where which are largely empty at the moment, and like Lorenzo. In rural areas, you put people in different parts of the same village. Um, these are proposals that have come from actually discussing with people uh, in those communities who are notably not being asked at present. Um, in terms of economic activity, you, you, within regions, you largely allow people to continue um, their lives. You then limit travel between regions. So this is, uh, uh, you know, this is this has been modelled. I mean, in all the most influential reports, they give a series of different measures. They don't just give lockdown. It's not a binary. It's just that in the developed world, lockdown offers significantly more benefits. Now, those very same models uh, acknowledge that the proportional benefits are less in the developing world. They also acknowledge that the costs may be disproportionate. Um, and what I'm suggesting is that uh, it at least seems to me, firstly, that contrary to what you suggested, it doesn't seem to me that that cost-benefit exercise is being done. If it is, it's certainly not being used in the justification of the lockdown. You know, all we hear about is avoiding deaths from COVID-19. We don't hear about uh, uh, you know, death due to starvation down the line. Um, there was another piece published today in the Mail and Guardian um, pointing out that during Ebola, um, there were a huge increase in the number of deaths due to malaria. Um, the same could be said for HIV. So as soon as you start focusing all your resources on one disease, all the other diseases get out of control too. They don't have malaria in, in Europe. Um, HIV prevalence is very low there. So the point is the population is far more vulnerable to the collateral impacts of our uh, uh, interventions than in uh, much of the rest of the world. I take what you said, and I want to run with that. You round up the old people and you put them up in hotels. South Africa is known for being very discoordinated or not as coordinated as ideally it should be between the various levels of department, I mean, various levels of government, at local government, at provincial, at national. Look at how these food parcels, for instance, are being handled. Look at the very mixed messages coming from the National Command Council's members in Figilembalula, for instance, on the transport saga earlier this month in terms of responding to how social grants would be received and what time the operations of the taxis would be. My, my, my concern is with all these clever plans that people come up with is that in reality, they're not practical. Where are you going to find those hotels to accommodate the elder? Who are the elder? Where are you going to find them? How are you going to support them? How are you ensuring that the people who are going to support them are not themselves carriers of COVID-19? The costs thereof, where are they going to come from? Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I think that the point I would make is that the lockdown measures are themselves the least uh, practical measures we could consider. So, uh, okay, putting people in hotels is a suggestion, but frankly, trying to lock down a township is uh, uh, just, uh, it's, a, it's a nonsense. We are not currently in lockdown uh, in any meaningful sense. 
So, you know, if people are living 10 people in a shack and their nearest accommodation is over 200, uh, nearest sanitation is 200 meters away, uh, which is 9% of our population here, yeah, they're not in lockdown. Um, so I agree with you. Um, what I'm suggesting is that that's the kind of thing one should aim to do. And I think what you do is you ask people. So you ask actual communities. If you present communities who know how they live with uh, problems and they understand those problems, then they will uh, try to come up with ways to solve those problems. So, you know, people respect their elders in, in this part of the world um, and they will try to, to, to protect them. What are your thoughts as you're sitting there at home? The African narrative is asking this question, or rather suggesting the lockdown is not good for Africa. At least that's the position adopted by Professor Alex Broadbent, who is the director of the Institute for the Future of Knowledge and the Professor of Philosophy at the University of Johannesburg. You know, what this conversation is taking me back to in the early part of this century when the HIV-AIDS pandemic really got grip in the country and it became an academic conversation as opposed to a practical conversation. It almost became devoid of the reality that was on the ground and it was elevated, led by the president, to an academic debate in terms of does a virus cause a syndrome? And then you had the then Minister of Health advancing a good diet as a way to mitigate that. Now, for all it was worth, the reality was people died, and people died because the government had to then be dragged to the Constitutional Court by the Treatment Action Campaign for the purposes of a greater and a better rollout of antiretroviral treatment. The opposite is now taking place, at least in terms of what is taking place, that the government has decided to make measures. Stringent? Absolutely. Does it have collateral damage? Absolutely. Will it have lost long-lasting effects thereof? Absolutely. Some of which are those that you have said. But, I mean, we had a conversation even with the DA yesterday and they didn't quite articulate it the way I thought they would, the different levels of the lockdown that they were suggesting between levels one and four and everything in between, almost like a load-shedding type. Mm. Here is a situation whereby the world doesn't have any empirical data other than what China did was a lockdown and the opposite of what China did was what the United States are doing. They still have domestic travel. People can still walk to the parks. Well, their figures speak to that. Over 600,000 people are now with the COVID virus, have tested positive. Nearly 30,000 have since perished as a result. South Africa can certainly ill afford those kinds of statistics because outside a lockdown, as has been, I do not see a way which is better, certainly, that can then better deal with what we have. And I don't dismiss the reality of many in South Africa, especially in your informal settlements and in your rural settlement, the information, if it has gone to them, it has gone in staggered ways. It has not been understood the way you and I probably would have understood it. And certainly the fidelity to its implementation in terms of disrespecting the order from the president has not been taken as much there as it would be perhaps where you and I will be found. And that's a function of the socioeconomic conditions. But outside that, I cannot think of something, and nor has it been put to me, that there is a better alternative. Well, it's definitely there. Um, if you look at the models, so if you look at the report from Imperial College London, for example, uh, they consider four options. and Some of them are, are, are uh, isolating of vulnerable groups. Um, so, so there are other options that you can certainly consider. As I said, China did not go into lockdown. They locked down a region. They went into regional quarantine. Um, you know, we have very large spaces here. It's not it's not like the middle of Europe. So you could do regional quarantine. There have been, you know, I mean, it's probably too late to quarantine Gauteng, but that could have been an option at some stage. 
So there are other options. It's, it, it's, a, it's one of the disservices that I fear has been done to us, is the uh, notion that there is a, a simple line, a scale between no, nothing and maximum. Uh, and that's not the case. There's a whole bunch of different things one could do, and uh, one needs to think, what, think them through. The other thing that's worth noticing is that I, I know that quite a lot has sometimes been made of the fact that more or less the day we went into lockdown, or two days later, the new cases... Uh, suddenly flattened. Well, that's obviously not because we went into lockdown, uh, because the disease takes too long. It, takes, it would take five days for that effect to happen, mm. or more. But a few days, but, but that's, that's how long it was since we took the previous measures. So if we're going to make that causal inference, which I'm not even sure we should, but if we're going to use that graph as evidence that lockdown works, it doesn't show us lockdown works. It shows us whatever we did before works. Now, I'm not saying it does show us that, but if it shows the one, then it's actually not evidence uh, for lockdown. It's, it's, it's evidence for the other. So, I, I, you know, we did implement a bunch of measures before we implemented lockdown. Uh, so it's not that there's, there's no other option. Are you suggesting the government then acted too late? Because, I mean, for instance, you mentioned Gauteng. It's probably too late to implement any other measure because of the lockdown, the way that it is being the epicenter of the country. Is it your suggestion then the government was late out of the starting blocks? No, I don't think they were laid out the starting blocks. Uh, with the lockdown, they may have been too early. Um, there's a lot we don't know. If, for example, there is a seasonal element to this, which, uh, which is a real possibility, then we may be too early to lockdown. It may be that we would have needed to do that in winter. Um, it's, just, it's just not clear. So I don't think the government necessarily was, was wrong to react uh, in the way that they did. It's extremely difficult for leaders in these positions. I do, however, think that, you know, the panic has to subside um, and one has to start thinking about what the consequences are of what one is doing. And, and there's no doubt that they are serious uh, and people are saying so and, and uh, you know, in loud voices. Songhezo, I don't know the stats. But a good number of us Africans are in the informal sector. We need face-to-face interaction to make money. You also mentioned qu- quite earlier on that it is the informal sector where the, in- where the lockdown just simply doesn't exist. And, and that is a reality. And we know why that would be a reality, because for a lot of them, it's exactly that SMS that says they need to be out and about engaging with people for them to make money. Is the government detached from its citizens? Because where I live, I have not seen a police vehicle or an army tank in in all this time. And some communities have got resident stations of the law enforcement agencies to the extent that in Alex, a person at home was killed. Therefore, the disproportionate effect of the lockdown on the informal and poorer communities versus the other communities and the fact that the lockdown itself worse hits them than it does other sectors of society. So the question really is, is government completely out of tune and touch with their voter base, the masses of the people, the reality of South Africa? Yeah, I mean, I'm afraid to say I have quite strong views on that. It's pretty clear that lockdown is a measure that is far less tolerable and even intolerable uh, if you live in certain conditions, if you live in a township. Uh, if you live in a suburb, it's rather nice. You sort of hang around in your pajamas drinking coffee and pretending you're working, uh, you know, assuming you're on a salary with a large institution. Uh, but that, that's not the reality in, uh, you know, For most, most people's living uh, conditions. Um, it, it actually, I think, 
it's just not humane to expect somebody to sit in a single room with a lot of other people for a long period of time. You have risks of uh, abuse and violence. Um, it's not even clear to me you're slowing the spread of the disease if people are uh, uh, crammed together. Um, we have a large number of people on social grants who then travel for that. I mean, it, it, as I say, it, it, you know, it, I think, well, as you say, that leaders are a bit out of touch uh, because it's not the case that we're in lockdown as a country. Um, it's also just disgusting that, I mean, there was a point last week, I think, when uh, it was, I think, three all to the security services and the disease in terms of deaths caused. Um, I, I just think that's, Outrageous, and it's it's a, it's across the continent as well. It would not be tolerated in uh, Europe, um, for sure. So it's it's very much about the style of policing uh, and the way that governments relate to their citizens. And, and I do have quite strong views that, as you say, that is indeed wrong. It's it's worth pointing out as well that the majority of leaders in the region are way above um, the median age of their populations. So the median age in Africa is something like 18. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what the median age of, a, of an African leader is, but it's it, it's certainly not 18. It's, it's you know, <laughs> these people are in the, the, the high risk group, mm. um, and the majority of you know uh, Africans in the in the continent and even South Africans are going to be dead before they reach that age, um, before they reach the age where they're in that high age group. So that, that, that there might be other comorbidities. We do have diabetes and so forth. Um, so I'm not ruling that out. But the fact is that the threats to your life, if you are, you know, traveling daily in a highly crowded taxi, um, you, you, you know, you're living in an area of poor sanitation, uh, violence and so forth, uh, perhaps an abusive partner, that, that, you know, those are far more significant, uh, I suspect, for many people um, than the, the prospects of uh, you know, dying of pneumonia due to COVID-19. In fact, Dr. William Kiza said the greatest way out of COVID-19 is to get it and to recover from it. Then you are sort of immune from it. But nonetheless, let's move on. We've got two voice notes for your attention, please. These are listeners who are participating through our WhatsApp channel, after which I'll ask you to wrap up the conversation. Hello, Songhezo. I think what the professor is saying does not seem to be realistic. How do you expect a patient who is not well to basically give a diagnosis for themselves to tell the doctor that, doctor, I am suffering this way, so you must treat me. This is the way you must treat me for me to be well. It doesn't make sense. This is Mac. Good evening, Songeza and the prof there. The prof, I agree with him 100%. You know, you're talking to Piwe from Tembisa. You know what's happening? We know who is at risk. You understand? We know who can die from COVID, the elderly. It was unnecessary to close down the country, to lock down the country, because now it brought a lot of problems. We can maybe, we, we can maybe stop the sales of alcohol, good, which is excellent. You know, but then having people at school, at work, it would have been easier to test them there and then those who are sick will be quarantined simple as that you see maybe conducting regular you know tests each and every week or every day now it's not working people are at home and only 70 70 000 plus are tested less than 100 000 we're gonna get new cases each and every day anyway and people are dying of hunger you know as, as i said kids and stuff like that and and, and people are losing jobs 
for nothing, you know. And uh, the rate of, 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 of these tests are very slow, so which is a waste of time, basically, because we're going to get new cases. We may get m- many more cases, but the good thing about co- COVID-19 is that it is horrible. No need to panic, you understand, because now how, how are we going to rent, how are we going to eat and stuff like that? Thank you. Yeah, two voice notes, opposite ends of the spectrum. Your final comments, please, Prof. Yeah, I think what we're facing is a situation where we're very uncomfortable about the fact that whatever we do, we're going to have some more deaths than we would otherwise have had without this disease. The question is how many and which ones. Uh, I fully agree with the uh, second speaker there. Uh, you know, It's just not realistic to try and implement a lockdown here. And I think that's going to where the debate is actually going to go, um, especially as we start to think about coming out of this. You know, this disease is not going away. We're going to have to live with it somehow or other. Um, what are we going to do? We can't, uh, we can't lock down forever. And this is true for the whole world, but our, t- our ability to lock down for a long period of time in this part of the world is particularly limited. In fact, even a week is too long for many people. Um, so I really think that, uh, that we are going to see these questions. I mean, I think history is going to look back and ask, you know, slightly ask what this was about, um, because it's not clear to me that there is a, a full weighing uh, of the of the consequences of what we're doing. Let's leave it there. Thanks for your time, Prof. Alex Broadbent, Director at the Institute for Future of Not sorry, Director of the Institute for the Future yeah. of Knowledge, as well Thanks as a Professor much. of Philosophy at UJ. Thanks for your time, Alex. Thank you. You take care. All the best. Twenty one thirty four. Let's go out to our book reading, please.